You're listening to Object As, a six-part series from the American Craft Podcast supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts. Subscribe to the American Craft Podcast wherever you listen or visit craftcouncil.org. To find out more about how National Endowment for the Arts grants impacts individuals and communities, visit www.arts.gov. Objects fashioned by craft artists can do more than appeal to the eye and hand. They can speak to our cultural, political, environmental, and social climates. They can comment on today's issues, inspire conversations. They can be acts of rebellion. That's the point of the Object As project, for which six artists were chosen by six curators to create works that speak subtly, directly, intimately, publicly about issues that matter to them. On this episode, we're featuring Los Angeles-based artist Alex Anderson, whose recent work explores Black and Asian American identity through the lens of millennial culture. Let the conversation begin. And a headache. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we're here to talk about Object As. Um, your piece is beautiful. Visually, I, uh, it's interesting because I just catch myself just staring at it a lot. And I'm like, that's funny because there's something in <laughs> about that in the storyline of it, of not staring at yourself <laughs> in the reflecting pool. Um, it all comes together. So It does. <laughs> you know, it does, it does, it does. Okay, so Alex... Can you please introduce yourself to listeners? Um, let's give them your full name and your pronouns, if you would. Absolutely. My name is Alex Anderson. My pronouns are he, him, his. And Alex, uh, where are you locate, located at? I'm in Los Angeles, California. Nice. How long have you lived in Los Angeles? I've been here since 20, September 9th, 2015. I remember the date because I was really excited to start uh, my MFA program at US, UCLA. And uh, that's why I moved here, and I, I never left. I've always wanted to live here. Um, the California and L.A. glamour imaginary was really appealing, and it mm-hmm. certainly lived up to everything I expected to um, experience here. And now I, it's like, oh, I couldn't possibly leave. <laughs> yeah, I do love L.A. What area in L.A. do you live in? I live downtown. It's like... Uh, wild it's very world star um <laughs> yeah i actually i stayed with friends not that long ago and they have a loft downtown i was like wow downtown wild west yeah exactly downtown. wild wild east <laughs> wild east wild east there it is there it is yeah. <laughs> um so can you give everybody a description of describe yourself as like your um studio practice like what you do yeah my studio practice surrounds ideas of millennial culture and what it's like to be alive today uh, from the perspective of somebody with my identity markers. Um, those immediate things that come to mind are being black and Asian. And um, it's those identity markers mediating my millennial experience. But I've wanted to be able to approach the human condition as a millennial from the perspective of psychology, social systems that we navigate, um, emotions, and then giving form to each of those things individually and the way that they intersect. And what is your medium of choice? Clay, ceramics. <laughs> yeah. 
And so you graduated from UCLA. Did you go to grad school or was that grad school? That was grad school. I did my undergraduate work at Swarthmore College. Oh, and have you always loved clay or did you come to it during grad school or did it shift somewhere? I've always loved clay. I, um, <laughs> my first experience with clay was when I was six in first grade. Um, they had one of their little art units and like, we're going to work with clay. And I was like, this is everything. And then um, <laughs> in <laughs> middle school, same thing. And then we got to choose which art class we would take for the year in high school. Um, and I took, I, actually, I took theater for <laughs> here and no. Um, <laughs> and then. <laughs> Not for me. I was like, why would you like practice being somebody else? Like, no. But like, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh and then ceramics gave me a way to, as a practice, of giving form to myself. So um, I, I saw my teacher make this thing um, out of just a ball of clay. And it was the most thrilling, mesmerizing, exciting thing that I'd ever seen. And it continues to be that today. So I, I never stopped. I started when I was 15. And this is my 17th year of doing it. <laughs> That's amazing. And did you, where do you go to high school at? I went to a school in Seattle. Oh, you're from Seattle. Mm-hmm. Amazing. I lived there for seven years. Um, oh, cute. Interesting that you lived in Seattle and moved to L.A. because I know a lot of people that have done that. And they're like, we're done here with the gray. Give us that sunshine. Give us that sunshine. Give us like, I don't know, like a, a sprinkle of culture. Like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, Goodbye, seasonal affective disorder. Yeah. Give us an art market. Give us like, <laughs> you yes. know, give us a gallery, more than one gallery. Not to shade Seattle. It's, it's a cute place. Yeah, I love my time in Seattle. Yeah. Um, are you a full-time, well, I mean, you're a full-time working artist, yes, but do you focus solely on your studio practice or do you have a job outside of that? I do. I teach ceramics at the Geffen Academy at UCLA, which is their new high school that was, um, it started in 2017, so it's, it's pretty fresh. Um, I started teaching ceramics here right out of grad school and um, that's that's part of my, I think of it as part of my practice. I think teaching is equally important to producing because you know your work is capturing and giving form to ideas and you're then like with teaching you're giving those ideas to a next generation of artists and you know I I'm really grateful for the teachers and professors I've had in my past and you know I hope to be at least have a similar influence and impact on my students that I uh, had cuz it was it was just, I wouldn't be here without them I wouldn't have even you know been encouraged to do ceramics or even had exposure to it without them so I I hope to bring that to uh, my students. And that's, I, I think, but it's part of my practice. Yeah. Well said. And yes, absolutely. And it's interesting when I lived in the Seattle area, I remember someone saying that they had taken jewelry classes in high school and that was not the same thing in Iowa where I was. So those early opportunities to explore things like ceramics and metals are so crucial. So you're doing some important work there, Alex. Um, I was, I just think I'm really lucky. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so for the object ass series, um, you were chosen and by a curator. Do you know who Susan Iskin is? Yes. She's a wonderful curator. She's the executive okay. director of the craft contemporary museum in LA, right across from LACMA and the La Brea Tar Pits. Um, I did programming with them and, uh, around, high school education in ceramics but then I also had a, um, an exhibition or I was part of the body um, op- it was called the body the object the other it was a clay biennial they had there um, in 2020 it opened February 1st 2020 right before the pandemic started 
12 years. Right. <laughs> yeah, because I'm, she nominated you for this opportunity or this project. And so I was just curious, some of the other artists have connections and some others don't. Um, so I was just wondering about that. She's so wonderful. for, um, she is super cool. No, so she's wonderful. It's wonderful to work with, like great energy and super smart. It's really great to, to, to like to, to know her, but to have worked with her. Yeah. And so um, for those listening, we're going to get into describing your object and yeah. uh, listeners, there is a, dis- uh, a link in the description of the podcast. So you can go ahead and click that if you want to see the piece as Alex is describing it. Um, so Alex, first of all, because of this podcast series, I've gotten to know you and your work. And I absolutely love it because Thank I you. once wanted to commission a shot glass just purely of gold luster. I am. <laughs> <laughs> I love uh-huh. ceramics and I love a touch of luster on a piece. So your work speaks aesthetically to me very strongly. Thank um, you. <laughs> can you share with listeners the title of your object? It's called Burn It All Away. Burn it all away. And then um, can you go ahead and give a description of the materials involved and technique? Absolutely. So the materials are earthenware, glaze, and gold luster. Gold luster, for those who may not be familiar, is 24 karat gold suspended in enamel. So uh, that sits on top of the glaze and it just looks like gold. But um, that's just to describe that or give a little uh, gloss that term, if uh, you will. it's a painting uh, made entirely of these ceramic materials. And in it, we're seeing the sun catching a field of flowers on fire while a gazing pool with an anthropomorphic um, face, or we could say an anthropomorphized gazing pool is kind of smiling. And uh, the pool is a bit on fire. The um, landscape around is on, is on fire, but he has this like kind of calm, uh, thrilled spectator <laughs> face. And he's... Uh, happy to be in, in this circumstance. And the reason being that uh, the flowers that are being burned away are narcissist flowers. They're daffodils. Um, daffodils are of the genus narcissist. And so I like to use a bit of the flower symbology to give form to um, the classical myth narcissist. Um, the idea was in that myth, those flowers sprouted from um, the, around the pool where he um, died uh, after drowning and looking at his image or wasting away and looking at his image, depending on which uh, version of the story you like. Um, but the narcissist flowers that I that I paint always represent the disorder in its own right. And it's important to me to talk about this because I think it's an, uh, one of the more prevalent pieces of millennial culture, millennial psychology. Um, mm-hmm. And also, again, like it's uh, the emotions that drive uh, millennials' behaviors. And I, I have a lot of theories around why we are this way, but it's something, you know, without thinking about what lies under it, it's immediately apparent that this is just part of who we are and what we do. Selfie culture, the competition, the need to be the best or, you know, or the worst in, in a way. Um, you know, it's, <laughs> I think it's like it, who can do the do the most to their enemies? Who's the baddest? You know, who's like um, which euphoria character that did the most psychotic thing are you most excited about? Like, yeah. it's um, <laughs> it's it's really popular uh, but it's also um sick and toxic but i think we accept it as just part of our generation because we're like well of course that's what it is but i i think that in my own uh, self-reflection and you know ways i've tried to grow as a person i've i've explored 
where that comes from. And I was like, huh, maybe that's something that I need to try to move away from. I think that we're all um, part of uh, that part of the system that encourages narcissism. We all, um, I say we all suffer from narcissism, even if um, it can be something that makes you happy or um, ultimately looks rather beautiful on Instagram or, um, you know, on E or Bravo or whatever you watch. Um, mm-hmm. But um, it's, I, I think of it as a, a form of suffering because with narcissism, you're giving up a an actual self in search of um, a, an ideal self, that, that Instagram self. <laughs> but, you know, we yeah. don't actually get to be our real selves. And so what we're seeing in this image is the, the thrilled gazing pool, um, which just holds the reflection of uh, the whoever was looking into it, um, being happy about the fact that all of it's burning away. So burn it all away, basically, for your own happiness and uh, for <laughs> for your own good, really. Yeah, like let go of narcissism or move past it to find happiness. Yes, and the sun represents light also. It's the idea of like, you know, knowledge in kind of a classical sense. So um, it's that self-awareness, that knowledge of what, um, the dynamics of narcissism are or the things that made a need to compensate appear. Um, it's that self-awareness that's burning those flowers away. So, you know, sun and light being knowledge and then those flowers being the, uh, like the, the, narcissism, the narcissism itself being burned away. Burn it all away. <laughs> burn, it, burn it down. So, burn it down. Okay, so, but narcissism itself um, is this personality disorder is a disorder and when we first initially talked about this, you've done so much research on this and <laughs> led me to reading more about it too. I just think the term narcissist is thrown around a lot, right? Like yes, somebody breaks up with somebody and he's a jerk and someone's like, oh, he's a total narcissist. And so I think that term gets a really vague and very broad kind of like understanding in certain ways. Mm-hmm. How do you define narcissism? Narcissism is a protective form of compensation for whatever it is in your past or even your immediate um your immediate past but usually it's from childhood something that you um somebody else told you that made you insufficient in some way um unacceptable unattractive unlovable and finding ways to attach yourself to commodities that move beyond the that kind of feeling that it gave you it's a disorder that makes you the ultimate protagonist in your own story where everybody else is a secondary character in service of your priorities. And when I see, I think that's really pervasive and I think it's American, it's Western, but I guess we could even reverse that. It's Western, it's American, it's um, contemporary, it's millennial. And maybe we could even say it's uh, even more um, uh, intense in, in LA where it's a city that is all about being glamorous, beautiful, perfect. Um, Perfectionism is also part of it. Workaholism is part of it. Um, It's also a form of avoidance from my perspective in a way because you're escaping reality in order to be uh, like this ideal version of yourself that isn't actually yourself. It's an imagined reality. And it's it's a disorder in that it allows you to or forces you to ultimately to operate within a distorted reality where you are, that's that, that central pro, uh, protagonist or um, God complex, that God character. Um, there's also ideas of it being a high. Um, the fact that you get this uh, 
I, w- I don't know which neurotransmitter it is. I want to say it's like a dopamine hit almost. But um, yeah. when you have what's called supply, supply is whatever feeds your narcissism. It could be being liked. It could be being told you're hot. It could be um, doing really well um, in your career. It could be, um, you can even be a vulnerable narcissist. Like, you know, I'm the, I'm the saddest person I know. As long as you're the most, um, it's like that could oh. be a thing as well. But that's it's that supply that makes it so that you are this um, this mm, you you rely on the supply the way any addict relies on any other syst- uh, any any other substance. So and you you'll get it how you can, <laughs> and so that's why it becomes a disorder. If you see people who do these kind of what I would refer to as uh, maladaptive behaviors. A lot of those things are in service of getting that supply or destroying somebody who interfered with them getting their supply. Um, and so it's like, oh, you're not going to get in the way of me and my whatever it is that that makes them feel like they aren't the insufficient thing that they were told they were at one point that really hit for them. Uh, there's also one thing I noticed was the example you gave um, when you initially asked this question was... Um, when somebody breaks up with you, you start to say he's such a narcissist. Now that could be who we date. Um, oh right, sorry, same... I'm speaking from a no, female identifying. Str- yeah, da, da, da. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm speaking from a male identifying homosexual perspective. Yeah, but exactly. Like, <laughs> um, it. I I think it is interesting that we often immediately go there. Uh, it's it does feel a bit male. Um, it's and because I think it's rather violent. Um, and I think we associate those things like violence and um, aggression with narcissism and also with maleness, um, traditional ideas of maleness. But, you know, it's it, of course, it's not um, unique to any identity. But I, I think we do. There is a, an immediate association with like, oh, he's a narcissist. Um, there is. Yeah. <laughs> and then what's interesting. OK, so with this piece, this um, is this a departure from your usual work or is the you said you depict the narcissist in other pieces. So is this an ongoing um, topic within your work? Yes. Um, I started doing this in 2020, um, also after a breakup, which is interesting. I was going to um, say, that was going to be my next question. I was like, hmm, <laughs> did somebody have a experience with the narcissist? I certainly did. Um, but yeah. I, and I, I, I did, a lot, did a lot of this research because I was like, what, was, what happened? Um, that was yeah. none of that made sense, and it was really strange and uh, and you know unsettling. But so I, you would be the supply in the situation. Yes, I think so. Or you know, I, honestly, I, I, it was so complex and confusing. But <laughs> beyond yeah. me being okay. simply supply, if I were just yeah. supply, I probably would have been like, oh well, that's easy. But um, <laughs> I think that this led to like um that 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 research that i was doing to try just to figure out like well what does this mean what was what with what, what the inputs that i have what can i what sense can i make of this situation but that started to extend to things that i noticed in millennial culture and yeah. um things that i'd already noticed in millennial culture but then this kind of scientific or at least um research psychodynamic approach i wouldn't say it's clinical because i am not an expert and i will i think it's really important that people like when i talk about these things these are all the things that i've read i am not a doctor i'm not a psychologist Mm -hmm. i don't have any degrees in that area i was i took two psych classes in undergrad but like um it's these things are broadly understood pieces of research that i've internalized that apply to my work but um also allow me to translate the things that i see in society into into um and sculpture. 
Yeah. Do you think that narcissists have any ability to be self-aware in that where they could burn it all away? Or is that part of the personality disorder that it's like, how do you identify it in somebody? And then how does that get treated? Narcissism is considered a negative socially. So a narcissist would never call themselves a narcissist because that wouldn't be a good thing. Um, And so it's rare, but usually it's the result of extreme loss um, that would cause them to at least start to look at themselves and maybe identify these things. In the, in the greater culture right now, um, culture of narcissism, let's be real. (laughs) um, It still has, even though we're in like in selfie culture and you can do it, even when I take a picture or post it of myself on my Instagram, I still have this like pang in my stomach that's like uh, a little cringy, but then I yeah. also really want to do it. Yeah. And then you also get such great feedback. Yeah. And it's this cycle and it's kind of crazy, right? Yeah, it is. It's, it is. It is always cringy. I think that's where the felt cute might delete later thing came from. Um, right. Where it's like if you give yourself a little space to be like, I wanted this, um, this piece of supply. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but you know, I wanted you to see how I developed. You want, um, you, you want a kind of, it can be this, you know, monument to fun things you did with your friends. It can be let you show that X, how you look now. Um, show like, um, you know, it, it turns Instagram into a dating app. So, you know, you want those updated photos just because that's the culture of things, but it also, yeah, it's, that's, that's so real. It's, it's, uncomfortable but also we see like celebrities posting dumb photos of themselves all the time like with that same blank face but they look great so it's like well if they can do it so can we whatever like (laughs) yeah no I get it and like even as someone who has launched podcasts I mean like we're both podcasters outside of this podcast yeah right exactly that in and of itself it's like here is a whole hour where you're gonna hear me talk to somebody which Um, for me is less of a thing than like look at my face because it's like who do you think you are and who cares about what, like what my face is doing right now versus like, I don't know. I believe in our, we, I think we both believe in our ideas and some, somebody asked, it wasn't like, here's <laughs> yes. a picture and like, okay, nobody asked. Like, <laughs> yeah. like nobody asked what your face looks like today or your, what your outfit was, but it's like, tell us about ceramics and, and the contemporary canon with relation to, um, you know, identities similar to yours. Someone asked. <laughs> so that was, that yeah. was different. <laughs> Do you think that, I mean, again, we're just, we're neither of us are experts. We're just talking about this, but there have been moments where I've thought about how I think it's kind of unfortunate to throw the term around mm-hmm. at people um, the minute they have these negative qualities and be like, oh, they're a narcissist. Um, do you have thoughts on that? Because I went through a breakup and immediately when I was trying to examine it, a lot of people immediately were like, oh, he sounds like a textbook narcissist. And I just didn't want, it was hard for me just to write him off as that right away. Mm-hmm. Like, how do your feelings I, feel about that when people get labeled as narcissists seemingly so easily these days? I think people throw the term textbook around too much because they probably haven't read one. Um, and so... <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's true. You know, it's like people throw the term crazy around too much. And that was the first thing that became inappropriate um, uh, socially, just like, you know, the R word or calling people fat or, you know, anything like that. I 
don't think it's I don't think crazy is wrong if it's actually true. Um, again, I believe that insanity is uh, operating within the loss of reality. Um, there's dissociation. You know, you're uh, usually you're drunk or high is dissociated. <laughs> um, you uh, there's you know being lucid. You, nothing impacting you, and then there's psychosis, which is just simply defined as loss of reality. If you're operating within a disordered reality and behaving in ways that impact other people. Um, in that way, it's not really incorrect to call that behavior or that person crazy, although it's, you know, not nice. Um, I think it's, I don't think it's incorrect, though, um, in those moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, with this, when you immediately call someone a narcissist, I think people don't know what it means. I think they think yeah. of it as being somebody who's just obsessed with themselves, rather than really understanding that they're not obsessed with themselves, they actually probably hate themselves and don't know themselves, uh, never got to know themselves. And um, unfortunately, then, you know, sometimes people who are involved um, socially, romantically, um, professionally get hurt by that. But it doesn't, I I don't think people know enough to call someone a narcissist, and neither do I. Um, I think that I see narcissistic behaviors in people, I see traits, I see things that seem um, maladaptive. And I always say seem, and I always say, I think, <laughs> uh, versus that is. <laughs> yeah, good practice. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, for, with this piece, and just in general, in the work that you're doing with speaking of narcissism, um, what, are, what do you hope to achieve with this? I want to, when I think, I want to, when I think about art at any period, I always say that art history is, and this is debatable and no shade to those who really, really value history as a discipline, but I've always said that art history is more important than history because while history is a series of facts, this is what happened and and that's it. Art history tells you the priorities of the ruling class of each period. It tells you uh, what were the dominant aesthetics of that period, what things looked like, how, how people looked, and it tells you how people felt based on the way that things were rendered um, and the materials people chose to use, the imagery presented. Um, and again, like the imagery that the ruling class value that we're willing to support and push into the canon. For my work with relation to that, I want to be able to say that um, this is part of what it feels like to be alive right now. This is what we were going through. Um, this is kind of a, a core piece of what the millennial generation lives and um, experiences. And I would also say again, like even though it's beautiful, and you know, we love being millennials. You know, like it's mm-hmm. we're hot. Like we we're a little aggressive. Like <laughs> we drive fast. Like everything is high contrast and shiny. And you know. Um, we were raised by the Kardashians and things like that. Like, um, it's a, it's a way of saying like, this is what life was like then. And, you know, the work will yeah. probably change. Um, but I think it's important to be able to start to give a voice to a generation, especially as we come into power in our thirties and the, la- the next generation, reti- the last generation retires. Yeah. You're capturing the culture in your work. That's all I want to do. <laughs> I like that. Okay, so for somebody who's listening right now, can you and getting interested in this and they're like, yeah, I should look up what an actual narcissist is and maybe do some reading, etc. Um, do you have any books that you would want to suggest to anybody listening? 
there are a few books that I really like, and one of them is called Narcissism, Denial of the True Self. And it's very Freudian. It also talks about ways that people compensate and why, and why there's also kind of a violence that comes with it because it's an aggressive protection of self. Um, it's kind of like this armor that people create with whatever the, the supply is, whatever the commodity that they want to present on the surface that uh, their ideal self captures and, and exudes. And so I think that was really helpful. The other side of this that I think is really important is um, with, for like a, I don't know, a healing kind of thing is it's called Self-Compassion, The Proven Power of Being Kind to Yourself by Kristen Neff. Uh, the, our, the author of the first one is Alexander Lowen. But um, I think that's kind of the way out of it. It's being, it, that's what, the beginning of the way out of the disorder is thinking about like, well, why are you acting that way? And, you know, if you look at a lot of villains um, in, in popular narratives and a lot of anime villains also, it's like, why are you acting that way? Well, something awful happened to me a long time ago. And so the whole world should pay. Um, that's narcissism. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, oh my God, the Joker and Batman. Exactly the person I was thinking of. He's the ultimate really? narcissist that we, of yeah. course. Yeah. Well, he's also, and Harley Quinn and the Joker are my favorite Marvel characters, not because of the narcissism, but because they're just like these wild clowns that like <laughs> steal like money and like have a great time. And mm-hmm. they're like, wildly passionate about each other so deeply in love um literally crazy in love um uh, and also i mean we we it, it wouldn't be wrong to call either of them crazy when um harley quinn worked at arkham asylum and joker was the joker was imprisoned there so i don't think it's like really off base to, to call them crazy but um yeah. if you look at the joker's history you know extreme poverty if you watch the most recent joker movie um, extreme poverty, um, a, a social system that doesn't allow him anything, um, actively denied access to the things that he needed to care for his uh, ailing mother. Um, and then when we look back on the larger history of the Joker, you know, he's this kind of nihilistic terrorist who says that I hate all these things in society. Um, and so I'm going to punish society. And his supply is <laughs> getting one um a bit of vengeance, vengeance, justice, balance, but also um, it's having all those things that he wasn't able to have, having the power that he, that uh, the social system took from him by default um, of, of what he was born into. So when we think about that, that's that's it. Um, that's very much clear narcissism, and he's also an American character. So when we think about that, I mean, if we're considering. Mm, screenwriting as an art or at least it is in the field of cultural production and it relates to our culture um it makes a lot of sense why americans <laughs> at least it's it's not it's like it's reverse causal really it's not that americans are this way because of the joker but the joker is this way because he's an american product and we live this yeah well said <laughs> Thanks. um <laughs> and thank you for giving those book um, suggestions. I'm going to put those in the description of the podcast for anybody listening who didn't catch those. Don't worry. We'll (laughs) link them. Um, Alex, it has been such an absolute pleasure speaking with you about your object, which is just visually stunning. Again, like I said, I love luster. I'd put it on literally everything if I could. Um, Is there anything? (laughs) What'd you say? I said I'd put it on toast if I could. (laughs) I'd put it on toast if I could. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, Is there anything else you wanted to add 
or to say to the listeners? Thank you for listening. I, I, I appreciate the opportunity to share more about this work and um, I, I thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's great. Um, thank you so much listeners. And again, if you want to see his object, you can click the link in the description of the podcast and also in the issue of American Craft Magazine. You can see that and read the full statement about Alex's piece. Thank you so much. The Object As series is hosted and produced by me, Sarah Rachel Brown of the Proceed Value Podcast in collaboration with the American Craft Council and supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts. Subscribe to the American Craft Podcast wherever you listen and follow us on social media at Craft Council. This program and many like it are supported in part by our members. You can support future programs and the American Craft Council by becoming a member yourself. Go to craftcouncil.org join to learn more. Thank you for being a part of the conversations.